And now, let's turn our attention to our passage. We, uh, if you haven't been here, we, we started Advent sort of a week later than everybody so that we'll make our fourth Sunday of Advent, Christmas Day itself. Um, but what we've tried to do is look at passages that help us think about, meditate on what the church is celebrating during this, this time of the year called Advent. Advent means a, uh, an arrival, a coming, and so we're celebrating the first arrival of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, even as the church awaits a second Advent, the second coming of Christ. And we looked at, we tried during our Advent, usually, to look at a couple of passages from the Old Testament first, the anticipation, the prophecies of the coming Messiah, and then spend a, a couple in the New Testament. So the bulletin is actually wrong. This is our New Testament lesson. Multiple sets of eyes missed that, including my, my set of eyes this week. But it is uh, our New Testament lesson, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. The better part of a year ago, my wife Dana and I got a phone call, and uh, it was a friend who lived close to us, and she received some some very unnerving news from a family member. This was family actually in another country across the Atlantic, and she's very concerned, and it was something that could be extremely serious, even even um, fatal. And we just it was just very heavy news to receive, and this person was asking for prayer. Since our friend lived close by, we, we drove over there and drove and sat down with her and her husband and just talked and, and prayed. And while we were sitting there, the phone rang. And so she, she put the phone on speakerphone, and we heard her get the news that we were hoping not to get. We heard her get the news that a loved one died. And we heard, because it was on the speakerphone, we heard at the same moment that she heard it. And her response was, I, I think, remarkable because she seamlessly cried and told this family member how much she loved her and prayed and told her that she loved her and cried. She just she seamlessly moved through all those three very human things. And so she got off the phone and, and we prayed and we hugged and we wiped our eyes. And, and after a while, Dana and I left. And, and when we got in the car, I said, you know, uh, that was gut-wrenching gut and I, I didn't want to be there for that moment. I didn't want to hear that news. But I felt so privileged to be there at that moment. Because it's really, it's not often that you get to watch somebody just in, in real time in the moment be godly and respond with so much character. I mean, she, just, she got the kitchen sink thrown at her, and in real time, her response was amazing. And I, and I want that in your mind and just on your heart because we're coming to a passage. And if, now, I'm not assuming that everybody here has, has been around church or that you're familiar with the Bible, but many of you have. And this passage comes back out at Christmas time. This is, this is called the Annunciation. This is the announcement by an archangel to Mary that you're going to give birth to a son. And I think when we hear familiar words, we can just kind of switch into Christmas gear and go into autopilot and just forget that. And I've, I've kind of said some version of this every, every week of Advent. These main characters don't know about Christmas. I mean, Mary does not know about this whole thing that theologians have reflected on for two millennia called the virgin birth and the incarnation. She, she is, as best we know, a Jewish peasant teenager. 
They would say young women, young woman. We'd probably say girl. And because God let there be this man named Luke, and because Luke really did his homework, talked to eyewitnesses, and probably one of the eyewitnesses was Mary. Because God moved him and, and guided him and directed him to write these things down, we're going to get to see, a, a, as best we know, a teenager just get the kitchen sink thrown at her and how she responds in real time. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. And just, just a note before I read, it's going to start off by saying, in the sixth month. And what that's referring to is the sixth month of the pregnancy of her relative Elizabeth, who's going to give birth to the man that we know as John the Baptist. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this past Thursday night, uh, the Haybig males, along with some of the other downtown pres males and downtown pres youth director, were at opening night of Rogue One. So I'm required to refer to it in my sermon because of that. Uh, don't know if you've seen it yet. No spoilers ahead. Don't worry. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm of an age where I can say I was at the original Star Wars, you know, back in the 70s, back in the day. Saw it on the big screen. And it's still great the way those movies start. You know, Lucasfilms, first you see the Lucasfilm logo. And the theater has gone dark, you know. People have been talking and then they get quiet. And then they still show those words a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away in the same font, in the same color. 
And even after all these years, even after you've seen it, even maybe when you kind of looked online and maybe know some of the things that are supposed to be in the movie, it, it's just, it, that is Lucasfilm way of saying, all right, it's here. This is important. You know, it's happening. Th- think about this. Uh, the Gospel of Luke is, you know, different Gospels have different target audiences in mind. Like Matthew is written for more of a Jewish audience. Luke is a gospel that's written more for a Gentile audience. But Luke would have known that there are going to be people ethnically Jewish, people that grew up with the Law and the Prophets. They're going to hear this too. Think about before he gets to what the angel says, you know, the announcement. Just these little, these little words that should pop if you had grown up hearing the Law and the Prophets, especially the Prophets, especially Isaiah. Let me, let me point out a few before we dive into the rest. Look in the first couple of verses in our passage, 20, 26 and 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel. Gabriel is a figure that you... Uh, the only other place you see him in the Bible is the book of Daniel. And there's all these weird things going on. Weird images. It's uh, a very hard book to understand. But let, let's just say this. When the angel Gabriel shows up, it's not a normal day. And Gabriel appears in her room. And, uh, you know, i got to quote C.S. Lewis here. He said that when, when angels appear to anybody in Scripture, the very first thing they have to say is what? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And, he, and Lewis said, in most artwork, whenever you see an angel, it looks like the first thing it would say would be, there, there. Angels, especially archangels, they are messengers. They, they are messengers of fire. When they appear to people, they're terrified. That's going to be very relevant next week when we look at the shepherds. So he just appears in her room. All right, so Gabriel, haven't seen him since the book of Daniel. He, he goes to the city of, uh, city of Nazareth in where? Galilee. And last week we looked at a prophecy from Isaiah, and it's these famous words about, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, his name shall be Wonderful Counselor and all that. A few verses before that, Isaiah said that there's been darkness over the land. And people are living in darkness. But in the land of Galilee, a light is going to burst in. It names the land of Galilee. So Luke says, Gabriel shows up in Galilee. To whom? To a virgin. And that comes up in Isaiah, that there was this sign prophesied. It was... Interpreted different ways, but that a son is going to be born to a virgin. A virgin will give birth. One last thing. Her betrothed husband at this point, her engaged husband, is named Joseph. And he is of the line of whom? David. There are all these prophecies about there's going to be one who will sit on the throne of David. In fact, in another Old Testament book, very confusing Old Testament book called Ezekiel, hard to understand. Not once, but twice it prophesies. Um, God says, I'm going to send David back to you. I'm going to send David to you and he will be your shepherd. He will be your prince and your king. So before we get to this, what the angel says, you get Gabriel coming to Galilee, coming to a virgin who's betrothed to somebody who's descended from David. Now, this is Luke's way for anybody in the know of bringing the lights down, 
and saying, it's about to begin. So let's look at it. Let's look at the announcement, the annunciation, and then the response to it, okay? Those are are my points, the announcement and the response. First off, let me ask you this. Who is the main character in the announcement that Gabriel brings? Is Mary the main character? Is Gabriel the main character? Let me, read, let me just read portions of this again, because I want, you, I want you to hear this. The angel Gabriel was sent from God, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Nothing will be impossible with God. Who is the main character of this announcement? It's God. God is the main character. And I want you to notice this too, that before Gabriel gets into any of the details, now we don't get as many details as we'd like, and believe me, Mary did not get as many details as she would like. But before he gets into any specifics, what does he announce to her? Well, in our translation, it says favor. Look at, look at it again. Verse 28, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And then down in verse 36, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, this English translation translates that favor. But the word in the original New Testament is the word that overwhelmingly in the whole of the New Testament is translated as grace. In fact, if you've ever heard this phrase, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. That's an earlier translation of this passage. Now, this part is really important. Catch the grammar and catch what's being said here. Gabriel's not saying, I'm coming to you, Mary, because since you showed up with all this grace in you, you get to be the mother of the Lord. And what is he saying? You have been graced. Uh, God has set His grace upon you. You are a graced woman by the Lord. She is the not the really dispenser or receptacle of. She's the beneficiary, beneficiary recipient of God's grace. Just unearned favor. So this is an announcement about God showing favor. Now, what does that look like? It means at least a couple of things. Let's just boil it down to this. God's going to favor you with a son. God is going to favor you with the king. God's going to favor you with a son. God's going to favor you with the king. Look in verse 31. God is going to favor you with a son. Verse 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Now, we translate it Jesus, which is a translation of New Testament Greek, Jesus, but that's a translation of his Jewish name, Yeshua. The Lord is salvation. That'll be his name. And obviously, we'll get get, get into this more in a second. You know, again, I don't want to beat a dead horse. Mary doesn't know she's famous. Mary doesn't know that the church across the street will be named after her. 
She doesn't know she's going to be an artwork all over the world. She's like a peasant, young Jewish woman just, I'm guessing, doing the best she can. Like just kind of trying to get by and make ends meet and do what maybe her parents want her to do until she gets married. And this angel of fire appears in her presence and says, you are going to have a child. Well, of course she thinks, how in the world would that happen? And here's what he says. Verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now, Mary doesn't have a full-blown doctrine of the Trinity. She's heard references to God, the Holy Spirit, in the Law and the Prophets. But she's not thinking of a Trinity. She just knows that he's saying the Spirit of God is going to be present upon you. And get this part. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And let me be teachy here for, for a second. The Greek word that she used, that verb of the power of the Most High will overshadow you. If you were a Gentile and you read what we call the Old Testament, you would have read a Greek translation of it. That verb that the angel uses about the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's the verb that she used in the Greek Old Testament for God's glory cloud coming down on the tabernacle. The manifestation of God's glory cloud. And so, in a sense, the angel is saying this, the holy of holies will come to you. But the holy of holies won't be, uh, you know, it won't be a room in the tabernacle or a temple, but your womb. And if you think at this point that her mind is reeling, it is. You've never known a man. You haven't come together with your husband yet. You are going to have a child. And God favors you with the king. And in so many ways, this is the answer to the last two sermons that I've preached from the Old Testament. Look in verses 32 and 33. He will be great. And that is a wonderful phrase. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And please pause and feel the tension. You are going to have a son. You are going to actually have a human son come out of your womb. He'll be your son. And yet he's not your son. He is the Son of the Most High. He is the Son of God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, how much does Mary understand at this point? I have no idea. Growing up Jewish, probably devout Jewish, She'd heard the law and the prophets read. She knew the story of when God gave the monarchy to David. And he said, you'll always have a descendant to sit on your throne. And, and, get this part, if he'll be faithful to me, he will be a son to me. But then the descendants of David were failures. Just over and over and over. Almost all bad kings except for a few. And even they hit bumps at the end. No one fully fulfilled this prophecy. And what is the angel saying? I'm sending you. And Mary probably would have at least been able to envision this. 
your son will resume the monarchy of David, but he'll be the one that we've waited for. He'll be, he'll be the real king after God's own heart. He will be the son of God. Now, how much at this point does she understand? We don't know. There's some things that sometimes we don't really talk about that she must have been thinking. For instance, Joseph may have been, especially if she lived in poverty, the best thing in her life. And I love that the New Testament lets us see that we don't learn much about Joseph. And by the time Jesus grows up, he's not around, must have died. But he's a great guy. He's a great guy. And he found out later when she was with child that she is with child and he knows he's not responsible. And so he was going to, even though they're engaged, their status would be like married. He was going to divorce her, but do it in a low-key way so not to shame her or embarrass her. That's a good man. But she doesn't know that at this moment. And so she must be thinking... Have you visited Joseph to tell him this? Are you going to tell my parents this? Are you going to tell the community this when before they've seen Joseph and me get married, I begin to show? Let me read you a passage that we really don't read at Christmas. This is from the Torah, the law of God. Deuteronomy 22, if there is a betrothed virgin... And a man meets her in the city and lies with her. Then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. You shall purge the evil from your midst. Adultery carried capital punishment. You know, and Mary doesn't understand the virgin birth, and Mary doesn't understand the Trinity, but you better believe that the townspeople who haven't seen Gabriel, they, they don't understand that. If I get pregnant, is it going to be a death sentence for me after I have my baby? Now, I just want to highlight this to say, we tend to hear this announcement, as, like almost like Mary's already doing her hair, getting ready for Gabriel to show up and announce it to her. You know, like she's just kind of finishing putting on makeup. It just, like she just got utterly disrupted. And it has to be confusing and unnerving plus the presence of the, of the archangel. So how does she respond? And I think the response is twofold. For, you, we've already alluded to the first part. Look in verse 34. Mary, who's never known a man, Mary, who has not been married to Joseph yet, you're going to have a son. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And you know, if that question wasn't there, this would sound like a myth. What teenage girl wouldn't ask that question under those circumstances? How? And of course, this is what theologians and interpreters and scholars and Christians have thought about for 2,000 years. We, We can't explain it totally. He just says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Yeah, are your, are your questions answered now? How does this work? So then, so then how does she respond with the, with the not as many details as she would like? Verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And 
just a little while after this in the same chapter when Mary goes to see her relative Elizabeth that gives birth to John the Baptist. When she goes to see her, Mary bursts into a song. And we call this song the Magnificat. It's been used in Christian worship for 2,000 years. And she says again in that song that I am the Lord's servant. And the translation handmaiden just sounds a little too clean and Downton Abbey-ish. She, she, she is using the term of I am the slave girl of the Lord. I am the Lord's slave. I don't understand this, but let it be to me according to what my master has said. All this confusion, all these question marks, and the angel leaves. No more debrief. Now, I want to ask you this question. How does Mary do so well in real time? And again, I think the tendency is to think, because she's Mary, you know, she's awesome. And she is great. And I, I, I'm just, I get one, one time a year to do this, so I'm going to say this. I think in the Protestant nervousness about, hey, 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 you know, easy. Easy. You know, like, don't even capitalize virgin, all right? Yes, we don't worship her, we don't venerate her, but when, when an archangel appears in your room and says, you are favored by the Lord, and when the mother of John the Baptist says, you are most blessed of all women, it is okay to say she's special. It's okay. I mean, she brought up Jesus. We like her a lot, all right? But how does she respond so well? Is it just what she was just a special person and God recognized that and that's who he gave his son to? Mary was real flesh and blood. Mary was descended from Adam. Mary did show up a sinner like you and me. In the Magnificat, she says she rejoices in God, my Savior. It's what sinners need. But what have we already learned in this passage? God has given you grace. It's not just the grace of getting to give birth to the Savior, but God's grace is at work in your life. And what I want us to do is try to connect the dots from this announcement to us in this room right now. Because on the one hand, Mary's calling is, it is as unique and different as I think anything in the Bible. One of a kind. But on the other hand, the things that she receives are all given to the normal sinner when God brings him or her to himself. Think about when God bursts into a person's life, even if it's not as dramatic as an archangel, when God gets somebody... When it gives them what, what Jesus called ears to hear and eyes to see, what is that? That's His grace. It's not that God looks down and says, now who, who really has a special heart that I should save? Until He intervenes, they are all dark hearts. All of us. No, it's His grace that comes after somebody and says, I'm going to turn you to me to start seeking me before you even know that I'm at work in your life showing you my grace. And then He shows you the grace. Think about this. When, when God turns a person to Himself, that's because what has happened? The Holy Spirit 
has come upon you. Not to bring forth the birth of a child, but to bring forth a new birth. And the New Testament is is very straightforward about that. We don't go to heaven and we don't have a relationship with God in our natural existence. There has to be a new birth. And the new birth is the real you. When God brings a person to himself, he does, it, it's not like, well, that was the real you, and now we're going to have the religious you. No, it's this was you living a lie, enslaved to a wicked ruler, and I'm going to liberate you, and you're going to be reborn, and now you're going to be the real you that you were made to be. Birthed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then what do we enter and what do we experience? That we are in the kingdom because Christ is on His throne. Overwhelmingly, the New Testament does not use... It doesn't use the word Christianity, at least in English translations, at all. And it only uses the word Christian two or three times. But what word is all over the New Testament? Kingdom. That you enter the kingdom and you participate in the kingdom. It's the good news of the kingdom. Meaning what? Christ is on his throne. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's not going to get any more powerful than he is right now. Is that fully manifested in our world right now? No. Is that fully manifested in your life or mine right now? No. But he's already burst in. And when you see this person come to know Jesus, or this person repent, or this person work for justice, or this person roll back the effects of this broken world, the kingdom's bursting in. What we're doing right now, the church, this is an outpost of the kingdom. Because Christ is king on his throne. And, and this is important, The other thing that we get to participate in, that Mary experienced and verbalized, is we become His servants, His slaves. He's not a cruel master. He's a loving, fatherly master. But because He is master and we are servants, it means in His wisdom and in His love, He can bring things into our life that are incredibly unnerving and confusing. Some of you are in it right now. And you know, the whole world is full of stuff like that, and lives are full of stuff like that. But it just seems like there's something about Christmas that if you're sad, or off kilter, or money is hard, or you're depressed, or your body doesn't feel right, that it's just highlighted by what the perceived happiness of everybody else. And so we ask him in our hearts, and maybe we cry out with our voices, I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. Why would you do that when it would make so much more sense for you to do this? And that is the hardest time to say, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. But did you know that we actually have the power to do that? And can we again hear what, what Gabriel says at the end? I mean, it's so great. Mary, apparently, Mary doesn't know that her relative, who's been barren, 
that would have been known in her family, like, Elizabeth is such a wonderful person, and God just closed her womb for some reason, and she can't have a baby, which is devastating in that cultural context, that she finds out your relative Elizabeth is in her sixth month of pregnancy because nothing will be impossible with God. Do we believe that? Do you believe that there can actually be a happy ending to your life in this world? If you live a charmed existence, you might kind of go, yeah. The hard time will come. I wouldn't wish it on you. The heart, you know, do not be surprised by the fiery trial. This world is broken. Can it really be true that God is actually going to raise our remains and make a glorified body that's our body, but transformed with a transformed soul on a transformed earth and that we won't so much go to heaven, heaven will come to earth and it will be our home. The new heavens and the new earth. But can, it be, can it be possible that those who turn to the Lord, messed up as we are, that we will live in bliss? Nothing will be impossible with God. I... This struck me, and I'm going to end with this. Uh, yesterday, I was running a Christmas errand with Betsy. She's our youngest. And we were driving home, and somehow it came up that she, I think she had been talking with a friend. And I don't know if they were talking about it in school or they read it or what, but about Mother Teresa and about how she had been canonized as a saint. She'd become a saint in, uh, in sort of the Roman Catholic system. And so we were talking about what that means and a little bit I know about the process. But we're, you know, but sometimes, sometimes you just assume that whoever you're talking to knows what you know, uh, which, which is a communication problem, actually in marriage sometimes, as it turns out, and in work and everything else. <clears throat> but I thought, you know, I don't know that I've ever said this to Betsy before. And so I asked her, do you know what a saint is? And... I said, you know, in the, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it says that we're saints. And for you who are educators, I think this must be the great reward for you who are so underpaid for the important thing that you do, to watch someone at the moment that they learn something or maybe realize something for the first time. Because I got to watch the moment where Betsy found out that she was a saint. I asked her if I could share this. And she said, I am? You are. You are set apart as a holy one. We still sin. You see, this is the beauty of the gospel. This is what Martin Luther talked about, that, that because of Mary's son, because of what he came to do, we can be simultaneously sinners, uh, <laughs> sinners and saints. Sinners and saints. But that one day he's going to do something where we will just be saints and no longer sinners. I just have to say that's the best news I've ever heard. That people like you and me are favored by the Lord. 
that we are His children, that we have been acted upon by the Holy Spirit, and even if He is throwing the kitchen sink at you right now, you have His favor. Nothing will be impossible with God. Amen. Let's pray. For grace and for the Holy Spirit and for pure monarchy and to be your servants and your children. Father, we thank you for the man or woman or child here this morning who doesn't know that they are your saint, your person, your, your, your holy one. Work in their hearts. Make them your temple. Make, make them a dwelling of your Holy Spirit. And turn them to your Son. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.